Hey everybody, welcome to episode 104 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett here with David Picciuto. How are you doing? There it is. Yeah. I'm good. Oh, what do you, I, people can't see this, but you are wearing something. What are you wearing there? I'm wearing the brand new Make Something hoodies. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I like that color. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, um, I, I now have the Make Something hoodie, and I also have the Making It hoodie. I ordered one for myself, and yes, nice. we have to buy our own hoodies, but, but yeah. Well, also with us today is Jimmy Duresta. <gasps> Hi, everybody. How are you guys? Good. Tell us about what you're doing right now, Jimmy. Uh, I am in Zanesville, Ohio. Can you hear me? Pichuto, can you hear me, like, outside the microphones? Can you hear me talking? I think I can see you. Is that you right there? Uh, waving? Yeah. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> How many miles am I from you right now? Oh, you're probably Hundreds? about four hours, yeah. Oh, really? That far? Okay, cool. I'm in Zanesville. I know I'm just a couple hours from Pittsburgh, so I'm near the edge of Pennsylvania. And I'm here at Saunders Machine Works, also known as New York CNC on YouTube. And John holds classes, and he has really great teachers, Is the guys that work in the shop with him. And he has a, a teacher that he has come in and who these guys are amazing. They've been so helpful and they're so nice. And the shop is incredibly clean and inspiring. It look, I just I was just talking to Luis on the phone a minute ago. And I said, I don't even think these guys own a broom. They don't seem to need one. This place is like, mm. it's like a hospital room, like a brand mm. new hospital. That's what this place looks like. And <clears throat> he's got incredible machines. And he was, uh, I've been uh, Instagramming a, a little bit today, Instagram storying, whatever you call it. And uh, I, I looked at this machine that John was using. And I just said, how do you know what you're doing? There is so many buttons. It's like being on the Starship Enter- Enterprise, the Starship Enterprise. I'm like, how do you know what does what? He goes, I he goes, believe me, I have no idea what I'm doing. But meanwhile, <laughs> he's typing all over this keyboard, his hands moving all over the place. He's making selections. And this giant thing is called the Haas. It's a huge CNC oh, machine. Yeah. It's yeah. like you could make car rims on it, like all four of them probably at the same time. It is insane, and it's got a huge tool changer. So I'm going to cover all this in the in the vlog this week. But it's just incredible. And we're sitting down. We started the class with Fusion. Everybody got a packet with uh, some stuff, including a block of aluminum. And so we all opened up Fusion, and we started modeling based on this block of aluminum. At lunchtime, we went in, and we modeled the, the top half, or at least the, the first couple of cuts. And then we went back into the classroom, and we've been modeling all day long what we're going to do to the rest of the part, and then we're going to flip it over and cut it from both sides. So this one part, it's just a widget. It's just like a, it looks like a motor mount, but it's really just an excuse to go through a lot of the tools inside of Fusion. And uh, so I I screwed up first today in the class. I, I didn't tighten <laughs> I didn't tighten my, my tool holder, and the machine was going, and then the, it's making a pretty loud sound, and, it, and all of a sudden the sound just gets more crazy, and then the machine just grinds to a halt, and then you got to slam the emergency stop button. And I didn't tighten the tool, and as you you guys have done this probably on your CNC machine, if you don't tighten the tool enough, it just starts riding out, and slowly it's mm-hmm. getting deeper and deeper, and then you hear the machine starting to act weird, and then it stalls. And that's what I did today in a piece of aluminum, so hmm. I got the honors of messing up first. Did that like destroy the bit or anything, or was it just the workpiece? No, well, it's funny. John said to me, he goes, "Look, he goes, because we used a bit with like a, a an insert. So it's a single bit with one insert that flops around and cuts. It's like a hogging tool. And he said those bits are so inexpensive and so strong. He says if we, we would have used this particular bit, and he showed me another one. He said it's like a hundred dollars, like a four flute, three quarter inch end mill. He said the prop that operation probably would have destroyed the bit, but." We use these insert bits. He said they're like indestructible. So I learned mm. something new about that too because I just assumed 
you know, yeah, it's probably bent it or whatever because it's pretty violent when things crash like that. <clears throat> and, uh, and then we just had to reset the machine. But they were all very they, – they didn't make me feel dumb. They said, hey, now everybody learned not to do this. And then a half hour later, somebody on the other side of the room did it. So, <laughs> so I'm curious about um, that shop or that place. What do they, what do they do? Like what's their main – obviously they're teaching. Is- uh, he makes a couple parts. I mean he, he does pretty well on YouTube and you know his sponsorship with Fusion and that stuff. Uh, you know I don't think he does any of that for free. But they make parts and they hold classes. It's funny. Some of the guys have been here for three days. They were going to do three days together and then they're doing another three days. I wish I'd have known that I could have – I didn't realize it because he just suggested this class because it was my, my uh, level of expertise at the moment. I'll come back for more, but I didn't realize he was holding these like beginning, middle, and end. So I'm in the middle as far as uh, skill level goes. And the classroom is set up. is It's really, really beautiful and uh, really well thought out. And uh, so I'm sure they're making some money with the classes, but he makes a bunch of fixtures. He does some stuff gotcha. for people that own the Tormac. He's making some tooling plates, um, fixturing plates, and a couple. he makes a couple of accessories. He's had a few businesses in the past and – he said now it's like completely obsolete because so many people are making them. But he, I think he said he was one of the first guys ever to machine GoPro mounts for guns. So at hmm. the end of a gun, like at the end of like a, a AR-15, you'd want something that, you know, gun guys like stuff that matches the rest of the gun. So he made like these black metal things that hold the GoPro. Now you obviously you just put like a squeeze clamp, but that doesn't look cool when you're running through the jungle. So <laughs> you want your black tactical, you know, with the pulkerized finish. So he made all those. He made a few of those things. He said he doesn't make them anymore because he said it's too much competition. But mm. it's a shop. It's fully set up. If he, he says, you know, when we come up with accessories, we just try and run them and sell them. Nice. And then, of course, he's obviously set up to do any kind of jobs. He says he's selective because he doesn't want that to become his main business. But, you know, if a company, anybody like some company making parts for airplanes needs – a hundred or thousand of these so that he's certainly set up to make those as well. Sweet. That sounds like a pretty good deal. I'm interested in the class. It's awesome. Yeah. And like I said, it's just like any class you take, there's guys there that know more and less than you and just hanging out and talking with these guys. You learn quite a bit about just the programming and the software and, you know, and you realize everyone has the same experience as you. You're not the only one that messes up all the time. So it makes you feel good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but well, it's great. It's a great experience. So what am I working on? I got three videos going in at the same time. Um, DeWalt is trying to... DeWalt has the video that I made for them, waiting for their approval. So I'm not sure when that one's coming out. But So I have this. This is a titanium ring. Oh, how did that do ultimately? Did it machine well? Uh, yes. I will say the X-Carve, or at least the spindle... That comes with the X-Carve, which is the DeWalt 611, is not made for cutting titanium. It spins, uh, from what I understand, way too fast, right. um, even in hmm. its slowest setting. Um, but so this ring that you, you guys can see it, but the listeners can't see it. It is. Uh, it, it came out. It came out great. It took like three and a half hours to cut. Real shallow passes. Um, I think I can speed that up even more. Um, what I learned is I, like, I was like, you, I had to babysit the machine the entire time because every once in a while there's sparks Mm. and, and, um, so sparks in a wood chop scare the crap out of me. So I, I, you know, I'm sitting there babysitting it the whole time. Um, once in a while the sparks would actually catch the little titanium burrs or 
shavings on fire. And you, not really? on fire, but you would see them burn up, and you're like, oh, crap. So um, I was there. I had the shop back running the whole time. I had a fire extinguisher there the whole time, too. Uh, and I still have one more ring to cut, so I still have to go through this whole, like, oh, is this safe type thing. But I had yeah. my um, uh, my shop vac, which is a Festool shop vac. I cleared out all the dust out of it because I didn't want, if I'm sucking up like hot metal, I don't want that to catch the dust on fire. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm playing it safe here. I'm sucking up all the metal as it's, as it's being ch- chipped off. And I forgot to take out the paper filter in the shop vac, and the paper filter oh. <laughs> started smoldering at one point. <laughs> oh, good. Um, so a, a complete learning experience. It works. It takes a long time, and it's slightly dangerous for my situation. I think I would like if I had it out in the garage or outside, I'd feel so much better about it. If I had a spindle on there that went a little slower than that router, I'd, that DeWalt router, I'd feel I'd feel better, but. It definitely works, and uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, that's awesome. Hmm, very cool. Looking forward to seeing how that worked in the video. And so, I have a I question d- about the Dewalt video, though. Yeah did you in, did you get kicked out of the Home Depot parking lot? Did not get kicked out of the Home <laughs> Depot parking lot. Um, actually, the Home Depot parking lot that day was pretty full, so Eric and I went over to the neighboring parking lot. It's an abandoned grocery store, and so. Um, yeah, so we're, we're we're next door. We did have a c- couple people like drive by and slow down and start watching us, which was which kind of weird. And then one guy is like, "Hey, do you like those tools?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And then had a five minute conversation. Eric captured the whole thing on video, but it was just so weird and awkward that it's not gonna <laughs> it's not gonna end up in the video. So, you guys want to hear a funny yeah. so story the, about Dewalt? Yeah. So my dad yeah. was at the Home Depot last week, and he saw the sixty volt flex volt end cap and he grabbed the store manager and, and made him like open up youtube and watch my video and try to tell the <laughs> store manager that he should put my youtube video on the screen that was there but the screen wasn't on and my dad was like insisting that they should and the store manager is basically like i have nothing to do with this and so then my dad called me and for 20 minutes he's trying to convince me to call the people at dewalt to tell them to put my video on i said dad that's all fine and well i really appreciate that i said but they're not paying me for that and they don't answer my emails anymore. So I said two strikes against them. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just hard to communicate with them. I don't know if you if you we're, we're talking to the same person, but every time I email with them, it takes like two weeks to get a reply. So like I just stopped trying. Are you dealing mm-hmm. with them directly or one of their agencies? I'm dealing with an agency. Yeah. So that's, and that's why a, and that's, that's a problem. Thing. You have to email somebody, then that somebody has to email them, and then you have to wait for this whole train to come back. By the way, I just want to point out that my ring video is not going to be out by the time you listen to this. It might be another couple of weeks. So mm. there's a, another video, probably an end table type video that's coming out instead. Is that the third one you mentioned? That you is the third, third one, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Does it have like food on it or anything or what's the... Uh... No, no. We, re- we rearranged our living room and there's this tiny little space between our couch and our chair. And I'm going to make a little table that fits that exact spot to hold a drink and then it's also going to have a built-in usb charger and a, and a plug oh nice yeah awesome hopefully i don't have to do what ben did did you see ben's video where he made the light and then somebody must have said something about his wiring technique and he took it down and re-edited the video and put it back oh, up at ben i didn't Ueda. see that mm-hmm. no i've i've had that though people talk about my wiring technique before and 
there, <laughs> I don't know about what Ben's situation was, but I'm left-handed. And so when I go to turn, to twist wires together or to wrap them around a terminal, I do it from one side. They're actually made to be right-handed and to twist things and wrap them the other direction. So it's natural for me to do it one way and not even think about it. Hmm. But people called it out and like how it's going to come loose, you know, because obviously you're like jumping around on the receptacle or whatever to make that happen. <laughs> um, but, you know, so that's one thing I noticed that I had never really picked up on because I've done a lot of electrical stuff myself, wired up my whole shop, my old shop and everything, and, you know, never had any trouble, anything come loose. But turns out, left-handed, the natural instinct is to twist in the opposite direction, which apparently matters. So, hmm. anyway. Lesson learned. Yeah, so don't do electrical stuff on video. That's what I learned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have an issue this week because I made my Casper mattress bed, which is on my Instagram, and I'm working on the video now, and my patrons can see the video. And in my bedroom that I share with Taylor, there's a flag, an American flag hanging on the wall. It covers a window. So the flag is just a little bit bigger than the window. So on one side of the flag is hanging one way. And when you're on the outside of the house, the flag is hanging a different way. And so far, my Patreon, a few people have pointed out that the flag is hung the wrong way because I'm shooting the video from inside the house. And so I actually, I'm going to have to deal with this because everyone's going to comment the flag is hung wrong. It's hung right when you're looking at the house, the flag from the outside of the house. And so I try to flop the video. <laughs> I try hmm. to flop all the scenes in the video so the flag reads right. But it messes up the whole orientation because when the Casper mattress box gets pulled in, the word Casper is written in reverse. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of scenes are one way, a couple of scenes are the other way. So I have a flag hanging up in my shop and I didn't know about the correct and correct way. And... Uh, I think the video is for Rockler. And so the videos that I used to do for Rockler had two edits, my edit, and then they had a separate edit for their website. And um, a bunch of people were like, your flag's hanging the wrong way, you know, show some respect. I was like, oh, I didn't know. I fixed it. But the video that I gave to Rockler, I think I actually flipped the video so they wouldn't get the comments too. Mm. It's funny things like that that you know, are totally innocuous and you, it's like, it's, you're not doing anything wrong, but you have no way to fix anything once you get it out there. So, you yeah. know, somebody brings something like that up and it's not like if there's like legitimately no safety problem or in that case, disrespect meant or whatever, you can't like just say, okay, <laughs> got it. You know, you yeah. can do that in a comment, but nobody reads the comments. They just want to comment themselves. So, right. It happens a lot. And I hate I hate that feeling because it makes you want to like preempt everything that you do with like a okay, don't get mad. This is what I'm about to do. <laughs> Let me explain to you what I what my intentions were here, you know. Right. <clears throat> Which is I kind of actually had fun with that in this upcoming video. I made a cake knife and um so it's a wooden knife and you know, of course everybody's going to go, "Why don't you make a real knife?" or like that won't cut anything, whatever, whatever, you know. And so at the end of it, I kind of played this little bit like, okay, I know what you're saying. This is not going to work. Like, there's no way this is going to cut anything. And so I showed it cutting cake. And then I was like, and it's probably not food safe, so it'll kill me. So I ate the cake, you know, <laughs> just to prove that, like, it's not. But my editor put a little funny thing to it. So anyway, that's what I did. That's what's coming out this week. I actually did that a couple of weeks ago. I'm still ahead a little bit, which is nice. Nice. Um, and then this week I've gotten in... I've started um, 3D printing the Shore Trooper costume. I did the helmet a few weeks back. I've started printing 
all of the armor, and it's going to be a huge process. What? Huge process. I saw that. You're doing the whole entire suit, everything? Yeah, yeah. And this Are trooper... You make, you're making it to fit you, I assume? Well, the... So I found a guy, after I put the helmet up, this guy sent me a link to a, a Facebook, closed Facebook group that anybody can get into, but it's closed. And it's just about people who build this costume. And they have, uh, they don't really sell anything. It's just about them like sharing information on how to specifically build this one costume. And so there was a guy in there that immediately gave me a link to every STL file for the entire costume, everything. And like, the gun, which is like fully 3D modeled to pure detail as far as you can go. The helmet, which is way better than the one that I modeled. You know, they're, they're screen accurate in all these parts. And he's like, here's all the files. And it's hundreds of STL files. I can't even imagine <clears throat> how many there are in total. Um, and so I've printed out all... I started with the rifle because it's kind of the smallest singular piece to do. And it was still, I don't know, 40 some odd individual files, some of which had to be printed up to like eight times, you know, for different little details and whatever. Anyway, so I've got all that printed out and I'm going to build that on Twitch and kind of be my first, you know, prop gun kind of thing that I'm making. But then after that, I decided to go ahead and do the full armor for the whole rest of the costume. And it is going to take forever. I can't even, even with, I have four 3D printers that will be running, still going to take forever. So, I started that process this week. And how many print, how many three D printers? Well, I have five, but four that I would use for this. That's going to come into effect later on in the show. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about it, and I'm going to have a response for it. All right, <laughs> we will talk about that. But also, going with what we're going to talk about this week, I also got in my Glowforge. Yes. This week. Yay. Yeah. Have you used so it? They, Tell us about it. I, I have used it. It's awesome. Um, you guys can see this. Nobody else can. But I cut my first piece on it. Um, they sent me some materials with it. So basically what happened, I, I purchased this thing, and they sent me a message saying, would you like one of the pre-release machines so you can you know, get to use it and tell us what you think of it and all that. And then when production runs happen, we'll swap it out with the one you oh, paid cool. for. Oh, cool. Which is really nice. Um, so I will get like the final version. This one is really well made. It seems final to me. Like, I don't know. They haven't said what's you know not finished on it. Um, but it's a nice machine. It's really big, really heavy, um, very easy to use. The camera seems to be good. And I brought the kids down last night and we had them all draw a little picture and then scan it and cut it onto a piece of paper. I mean, onto a piece of wood. So that was pretty cool. It cuts paper but too. It, it does get real fast. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's another way to set a, start a fire too. <laughs> um, lasers and paper but yeah it's pretty awesome the only uh annoying thing that i found so far about the fact that it's a pre-release machine is that i ordered the air filter that comes with it so that i could put it because i don't have a handy window to run the filter out of and this one doesn't come with the air filter so it just has the hose you can actually see it here behind me Mm -hmm. um and so anytime i want to use it i have to open the window throw the hose out which it's not a huge deal, but, you know, it's just that means I have to keep the machine close to a window, which is not where I wanted to put it. So it's kind of a big thing right in the middle of the room and, you know, stuff like that. But it's cool. It's very cool. So I got that in, which was a surprise. I did. I wasn't planning on that. And then I also last week ordered a lathe, and that came in the same day. <laughs> so now I have 
a new lathe uh, that I don't have a place to put <laughs> yet. Um, I'm going to make a stand for it, like a rolling stand, so I can move it around and get it out of the way when I don't use it. But um, so, yeah. Is, is that a jet that you got? Yeah. Yeah, it's the 12 by 21 inch jet. Same oh, one so I have. Kind of big. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm not I'm not terribly interested. Like, I want to start turning stuff all the time. But it's one of those things that I think will be really handy once I get the hang of it. You know, I, I feel like I will take advantage of, of the capability once I am comfortable with it. So far, I don't really know what I'm going to do with it. I mean, I think for my first uh, project with it, I'm just going to make some handles for some chisels that I have. I figured that would be like kind of a simple entry. Yeah, it's thing. a great start. Yeah. Do you have any other suggestions? You guys are both lathe pros. Well, I, um, just start playing. Just throw a piece of wood up there and just start digging into it and understanding how the heads work on each chisel. Yeah. Yeah, just play around with it. Dave, what were you going to say? I was going to say, when I made my hot dog table, I didn't plan out what I was going to do for the knob. I thought I was going to buy a knob. And then in the middle of it, I'm like, oh, I'll just turn one. And it really only took me like 10 minutes mm. to... You know, pre-cut it up on the bandsaw, chuck it up on the lathe, and turn the handle. And I don't know why, but it was one of my favorite parts of the whole build because I'm like, look, I made a knob. Yeah. Huh. The uh, the the uh, my Rockla video I just made, I just released it. It's actually doing fairly well, and I made four little stubby feet for it at a poplar, a little glue up there, five by five by five, approximately as far as the volume. And once I figured out the first one. I made all four of them probably in 20 minutes, sanded and everything, ready to go. So, I, you know, once you get good tools and a good lathe, and it's fairly, it was kind of a fairly simple design. It was just kind of tapered with a little bulge in the middle. But once you start figuring it out, it, it goes quick. You're, you're going to be surprised at how simple it is. And don't be so fearful. That particular day, I had a, a one of my a, a young shop assistant hanging out with me, this kid, Jacob. Not the Jacob you guys met, but a younger kid. He just... I know him from the high school I used to teach at. And Jacob, I let him play with the lathe, and he was very intimidated. I said, you know, don't don't be so nervous. I said, just dig in there, have fun. This isn't – you're not cutting like a, you know, like a ship's crankshaft. So <clears throat> you do need to be conscientious and hold your tool tight. But you hear these horror stories of the tool being ripped out of your hand and flipping across the room and tearing your chin bone off. That's not likely to happen, especially mm. when, you, when you're spinning something that is a small diameter. If you're spinning a big ball, uh, you know, something that's like the maximum diameter rotation, that's something you need to be a little bit more, you know, conscious about. And then also yeah. the motor on that machine you have isn't the type of motor that's going to, you know, rip your jaw off. But it of slips. course you should, you should always it, be it, safe. Yeah. I, I found many times I've been, I'll, I'll, a tool will get jammed in there and the tool the had, belt, didn't flip up. The belt slips. Yeah. The oh, belt slips. That's yeah. good enough. So it's not like a direct drive like, you know, some yeah. of these other big lathe guys have. Those are obviously more dangerous. So this one was recommended from a guy I met in Boston named Kevin, who just, he sat down at the table while we were at the restaurant up there and just said, basically, I want to get you turning on the lathe. So I'm going to give you all the information that I can possibly give you. And he was super helpful. But basically, uh, this one, I settled on this one because he recommended it's a variable speed. And so it would be a good one that I could start teaching the kids on as well, because you can drop the speed down to where it's a much safer. So that hearing that about the belt is actually another thing that would, that gives me some confidence that it would be safe for the kids. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'll get some face masks and all that stuff. And after I get the hang of it, I'll start bringing the older kids in and let them try it. I think that'd be cool. So that's yeah. one of the reasons like I've, 
like I said before, I've not had a huge desire to turn. And after hearing that, like, oh, this particular machine is a really good way to get a kid into it safely. I'm like, oh, well, okay, that's enough of a reason for me to, like, get excited about it for myself so that I can teach it to them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I'll report back. And I don't know when I'm going to actually be doing a video with the lathe, but I was thinking about um, kind of chronicling my first turning experience with it, you know, like so that somebody who also has never really done it can watch that and say, oh, well, he's doing it for the first time on video and it turned out okay and his face is still there and stuff. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So I'll do that, right. and then I'm also going to make the the cart for it. You know, that'll be another way to kind of introduce it. But nice. One helmet? of the things. Oh, go ahead, Jimmy. I was going to say, wear the the helmet from Star Wars while you work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that could help speed something up is to get large Forstner bits, like really large ones, when you're mm. making like a bowl or I, the, the beer mugs. The the center of my beer mugs was the size of one Forstner bit, and you can actually just use that Forstner bit on the lathe to hog out all that material. You're not sitting there with a the tool the entire time. You get a nice clean cut. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah, I think I'm. it's good to know stuff like that, those little things. I think still my biggest fear is just something exploding. You know, which I guess you don't ever have any control over, and like a, using a bit versus a tool is probably not going to have a big effect on that. But um, a few weeks ago, well, I guess it was right after Boston, uh, Matt from Converse that you know helped us set the whole thing up posted a video of him turning a bowl, uh, and it exploded in his face. And I mean, he's okay. I don't think it even hit him, but it shot past him, and he showed slow mo of it going past him. And oh, man, that just freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> And it was one of those things where he didn't, I think he went too uh, thin on it. You know, he was cutting from the inside and the outside. That's what made me think of what, when you just said cutting out the inside with a bit. Um, you know, so I think he just got to a point where he had gotten too close to his outer cut, cutting from the inside, and then it just broke. So I guess it's just interesting, you know, something to keep track of. I have seen a few people, and I don't know if you guys have ever done this, shine a light through the piece, sure. the work piece. That's yeah, you really, can see the very you can see the thickness that way. Yeah, that was really smart. I wouldn't have thought that that would have been effective, but guess it is once you get thin enough. Anyway, so that's me. New tools and stuff. <laughs> New tools and stuff. So what are we going to talk about, Dave? <laughs> Having too many tools and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, huh? How about that? Yeah. What do you know? Uh, uh, over the past year or so, I've been kind of going through this kind of mindset change of. I've got too much stuff. Like, I, I don't want to get morbid. I don't want to make it weird. But I, I've started getting rid of stuff. And I want to, like, if if I die in a fiery boat accident and a family <laughs> member has to come over and clean up my stuff, mm. and, like, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want them to have too much to deal with. And we've talked about it before. There was a book I read. I'm going to recommend it at the end. I've recommended it before, which changed my mindset on this stuff. And then I just watched another movie on Netflix the other day called Minimalism. And I'm just like, man, I got to get rid of more stuff. I have too many tools. With the the Walt deal that I currently got, I now have two miter saws. I don't need two miter saws. You know, I have one... Like the Festool miter saw I have is really, really good. It's like the one of the highest rated miter saws out there. But this DeWalt one I have can be run corded or cordless. That might trump 
anything the other one、mm. does, and I don't need two, so I should get rid of one. Uh, I've I now have four drills. I'm getting rid of a couple of drills. I currently have two CNCs. I, one of the CNCs is going to my local university.、Um, I just and oh, another thing is uh, uh, that brought up this topic is I'm taking off the table saw sled for my saw stop, the、uh, the, the built-in saw stop sled, and I I don't use it much. It takes up space. More space than just just the wing, and I'm I found somebody to give it to, and、uh, so I've been I've been giving a lot of tools away. Sawstop got word of it,、um, and they're cool with it. They're like I I'm like this sled is awesome. It's great if you work with mostly sheet goods. It just doesn't work with my kind of woodworking, the smaller things, and.、Um, You know, they're like, oh, cool. So they're sending. They're actually sending me new rails because you have to cut your rails to put this on there. But anyway,、oh, nice. I wanted to. I I need to. I want to use more common tools that other people might have in in their shop because most most of my viewers don't have the sliding table saw sled. You know, most of the viewers don't have a festool miter saw. So I'm I'm downsizing. I have too many tools, and that's、hmm. a that's a good problem to have. And I'm not bragging. I'm just I. I don't. I don't need everything that I have. I know. I don't know if Jimmy has too many tools, but he sure does have a lot of tools. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of tools. Yeah, I have a lot of tools. I'm just while you're talking, I'm just making a list. <clears throat> I have.、Uh, I have six lathes. I have five compressors. I have six chop saws. And table saws. I could do a quick math. This includes. The one I, just, I gave to Tim Sway, I gave him my table saw, the one I cut my hand on. So that, including that, as if I still own it, that's one, two, three. You have two shops, four, though. That's five, one thing to consider、six. there. You know, I have, I have six cabinet saws. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave one to Tim. So I only have five, and that includes my. I have a I have a a Delta X five, the one that's upstate. So that's, and then I have my. My saw stop, which is my main saw, and then I have three other delta saws that are basically in storage that I don't use. Are those and, like? I'm curious about that right there.、Um, oh, and、uh, I don't mean、saws. to derail you, but like, no, 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 I'm things, thinking about my band saws too. Go ahead, keep going. Like for one particular <laughs> saw, like the table saw, you have those in storage, and I know you like them. You like the old metal and stuff like that. Do you ever think you're realistically going to use those? Even if you had the space, would you have a need to have them all set up for different things or anything like that? Honestly, I, I might only need two, maybe three set up. That's it. And then once I get my big shop built and I'm ready to kind of catalog all the things I have in storage, I am definitely going to give a lot of stuff away. Like I just、yeah. wrote down, I have five compressors, three of which I'm just going to give to whomever is near me at the time when they're ready to take them. You know, I give Keith Decent gets all my, my stuff that I give away because he's the closest to me. He drives over and I give him stuff from upstate.、Um, so Keith, I don't know if you need a compressor. Get in touch with me.、Um, <laughs> Chop saws. I had this old chop saw I never used. I just put it on my front lawn, and someone took it. I don't even know who. I, somebody drove by and took it, and I gave away a couple sets of power drills, things that are still work, but the modern technology is so much better and faster. And you know, there's something like at one point we all know that point when our hand drills and our and our screw gun. We just look at it one day and we just go. It's like an old dog that has like white hair on his chin. You just look at the, the screw gun and you just go. 
time for a new one. Sorry, buddy. You know, and you just give it to somebody. So I've given away a few sets of, of, of battery operated stuff in the last year. But as far as lathes go, I definitely need to downsize on lathes. I just bought two new wood lathes. My old one, the one I grew up with, the one I've used quite a bit, I just can't use it anymore. It's really just an antique. And if I kept it, it would only be for sentimental reasons. I, I just, it's every time I use it, I'm frustrated that I shouldn't have started the project on it. And then, uh, I got my little South Bend lathe and my big South Bend lathe. And I justify keeping those because I make a lot of money on those with the ice picks, believe it or not. I got a nine foot lathe. I make this four inch little three eighth inch <laughs> diameter handle on the thing all the time. But one of these days I'll make a big, I'll big something on there. But yeah, it's, I definitely feel you, Dave, when you're talking about, you know, leaving a footprint. Um, my, my buddy, my buddy, who's a very funny comedian, he's on one of my really, really first YouTube videos shooting a shotgun. My buddy Thomas from Denmark, he came to my house one day and he goes, he goes, when you die, they're going to have to pile all, all your, your lawnmowers up on your grave. He goes, you like, cause you have the biggest carbon footprint of every American, any American I know. <laughs> cause when I first, this is when Thomas first came into my life is when I first got my house. And I inherited like five lawnmowers because everyone's like, oh, you have a big lawn now. Take my lawnmower. I never use it. And then my dad's like, hey, <laughs> my neighbor's giving you his ride-on lawnmower. Come take it. So then I had like three ride-on lawnmowers and like four push lawnmowers, all of which I inherited for free. And then I bought a brand new one and I gave all of those away. I just literally gave them to the guy that does my lawn. I put one in the front yard. So there are moments in time where I get stuff for free all the time. And uh, I just say, ah, yeah, I'll take it. I'll figure it out. And then I find somebody else to take it. So a lot of my stuff is always in transition. Mm. And when I dig into my mother's storage bin, which you kind of saw a little bit in one of my recent videos, my mother's garage, I've been given so many tools by craftsmen and some other companies when I did TV shows. Once the production goes down, nobody wants them. That's basically, it's dead weight to the production company. They're not going to drag around a planer. They don't want a planer. So the, I took it all. It's all in my garage. I don't – I have a 20-inch wide planer from Craftsman. It weighs like 300 and 400 pounds. It's like one that's not meant to move. It sits right in the middle of a shop. I've never set it up. It's never even been plugged in one time. I just got nowhere to put it. Hmm. And I hang on to it in the event that one day I'm going to have a shop space for it. But if that day never comes, you know, I'm going to have to really make the decision soon and just give it away. You know, I could say I'll sell it, but what am I going to sell it for? I'd rather just give it to somebody in need. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, but yeah, yeah it's, we are, it is, it is a problem. Yeah. We are in a cool position. Like I know not everybody is in this situation where uh, people do give us tools, like new tools, you know, and um, <clears throat> I've tried to use that in a way that works out best for other people. Like every time someone gives me a new chop saw, I give mine, which worked perfectly well. You know, to a friend who does woodworking as a hobby or like make stuff on, you know, to sell on Etsy or whatever. And just try to pass those things along so that they're out of my way, for one, but also so that I'm not hoarding multiples of something that I don't actually need multiples of. And I think there are some tools that having multiples makes sense, you know, but not not everything. Like you were talking about the table saws. If you had them so Frank Howarth is a great example of this. He has multiple table saws. And they're set up differently for different things so that, you know, he can, and he has the space to do that. So that yeah, he I would can love use that. one for a dado and one for this type of cut and one for that. And it makes his production faster, you know, and the amount of precision that he does on all his stuff, I guess there's probably a requirement to not have to fiddle with one saw all the time to make it this or make it that, or, you know, just to leave them set up. And like you brought up the 3d printers earlier, um, 
I think that's another thing where it's easy to say, like, why would you need 100 3D printers or whatever? But in the case of this particular project I'm working on, where I have this huge number of pieces that need to be printed, each one of these pieces takes 12, 18, 24 hours. You know, some of these pieces actually will take over two days to print a single piece. And it's a machine that can work on its own. It's like, I don't have to be watching it. I don't have to be doing anything with it. And I know there's not a whole lot of machines like that, but you know, having multiples of those mean that I I can be doing four 18 hour prints or whatever at the same time and still be somewhere else doing something else. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not saying that that's what everybody needs and everything, but that is a particular tool. Any of the digital fabrication stuff that you don't actually have to be watching for safety reasons, you know, and people I'm sure will be screaming going, you have to watch 3d printers. They'll catch on fire. Um, but any of the, the digital tools that can kind of run on their own, if you're doing production work or high volume work, then having multiples makes a lot of sense or can make sense, you know, but like David, what you're saying in the, in the case of having two miter saws, you can only use one at a time for the most part. And, <laughs> so, and the funny thing is, <laughs> Jimmy's showing us his list, eight drill presses, eight band saws and five radio arm saws. Oh I don't gosh. even, that, that's, that's crazy. That's me just is, going through my inventory in my head. And people are going to think I'm nuts, but I got most of those either donated to me or inherited from just friends and family. So I only bought maybe 20% of all of that. I didn't even have a uh, um, a miter saw, a chop saw, up until a year ago. You, if you have a good table saw set up, you don't need one. You can get by without one. I decided to finally get one because... Most of my videos I try to shoot within a day, and so I can actually have something set up for a rip and then something set up for a crosscut because I'm trying to work as efficient as I can. Now all of a sudden I got two of them. You know, mm. um, as you guys are talking, I wrote down a note. Uh, having less makes you more creative because you're you're bringing in problems, and creativity comes from solving problems. So if you actually have less tools, you 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 really. It, it it really brings out the best of you because you have to sit and think, how can I do this? How can I make this cut? How can I make this thing? Oh, I can't, but I could do this and that changes everything and it makes your piece unique and you can then you can embed your style into what you're working on. I, I agree with that. I also disagree with that. Um, I think that mentality and that like, you know, forcing yourself into a constraint to be more creative, I think works really well for, it works obviously for you very well and has produced some really cool stuff. I think for some people it can be stifling. Um, and it just depends on personality, I think. But I think also having enough tool or having, hmm, how do I say that? Having one of everything (laughs) in your shop doesn't necessarily mean that you have the capability to do anything and everything that you need to do. Um, there are still problems to be solved within even the simplest of projects. And I was actually thinking about this earlier, uh, unrelated to this topic, but I've, I've talked before how I think of projects as their end result and not necessarily the process. Like when I'm thinking, what's my goal here? My goal is not necessarily to get better at whatever dovetails, never done a dovetail. Um, that's, you know, doing a desk in that style for the sake of getting better at that procedure 
is not me. That's not why I would do that. I would do that because I want a desk that looks a certain way. And so I would do whatever process needed to be done or take whatever shortcut needed to be done or whatever to get to that final thing. Now, not everybody's that way. A lot of people just want to get better at doing something. Um, and so they, they will do the project for the sake of the experience and for the sake of the practice, you know? And so I think that has a lot to do with like what you need on hand to get to your goal. And like what you're saying, your goal of problem solving and come up with really creative solutions to a project, whether that project is unique or not, you're making it unique through the problem solving. That's like a, that's one way to, to do the thing. Um, but I don't know that that necessarily fits, you know, as a, as a universal rule. I think that's like one of the things. Sure. But I also think, you know, you were talking earlier about how, um, like wanting to declutter your life. I know that's been like a goal of you, of yours for a while and stuff. And it's almost like an entirely different but related topic, you know, like decluttering and, and I don't really know how to, how to voice that decluttering a shop and removing tools from a shop can be, but are not necessarily the same thing. Well, yeah, See what I mean, I, what, here's the, here's the, the struggle for me is I'm trying to remove, um, any kind of emotional attachment to anything that doesn't need an emotional attachment to. Right. If there was a fire that wiped out everything, what do I care most about? Of course, I care about the living things in, in this house, maybe a, a, a few things that have some sentimental value, but everything is replaceable. And I try to look uh like you, like all, like everybody, I have space limitations. I don't have an infinite amount of space and i do know there's going to be more tools that i want to get in in the future and so to do that i have to get rid of some of the other tools or make more efficient use of my space which means decluttering if i haven't used this thing in in two years i think it's got to go maybe i give it to a friend and then you know when i do need that particular item once every two years maybe i can call up that dude and say hey yeah you know let me borrow that very true that that brings up a really good point because I was hanging on to so much stuff. I mean, everybody knows I brought all the stuff to Boston and gave it away. Most of that stuff is stuff I had since I was a kid. And I was hanging on to it because I'm like, oh, that's the drill my dad gave me. Oh, that's the drill I got from my my friend's father who passed away. And I was hanging on to so much of this stuff because it symbolized something that is, you know, aside from being a memory, is pretty much useless. And so I'm looking at all this stuff trying to declutter one day. And I was like... And the pile just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was like, I'm just going to give all that stuff away because I don't need any of it. I thought I did. I don't. And it's the same thing with a lot of these larger machines. I, I keep hanging on to them because I think, and well, the bigger reason I hang on to them is because I anticipate having a big space. But do I need eight drill presses? Probably not. They come to me and people are like, I don't know what to do with them. I'm like, ah, take, I'll take them. And then I play with them and then I like them. But ultimately now, like I said, I'm getting to the point where I'm emotionally alleviating them from my life, like where I think I need them. I really don't. And the best example is have I used it in two years? Yeah. Some of these things I haven't used in 10 years. Yeah. One of the techniques in the book that I'm going to talk about later is – just taking a photo of it. Take a digital photo of that thing that you that you have that emotional attachment to. And then you can get rid of it because the only reason you're holding on to it is so you can look at it and, and bring back those feelings of, of the past. But you can create a digital photo album. It doesn't take up any space. And 
you're you're de- you're decluttering. You know, you can yeah. still you can still love that thing. Love is not the right <laughs> word, but you can still. Yeah. Well, you you like the th- yeah. I mean, I I actually wrote down at the very beginning of this before we really started talking, have versus need, because feeling like you need things is one thing. Having things is a different thing, and they're not always. You know, some people feel both of those things. They have a lot of stuff, and they really feel like they need to hang on to it for the sake of the memory or the whatever. Um, and for me, it's always been, I don't want to say a struggle, because it's not hard, but it's something that I'm mindful of, of enjoying the things around me and having things that I enjoy, but also not being attached to those things to the point of, like, if my house burned down and my family was okay, right on. Let's get insurance money and get started again. No big deal, mm-hmm. right? Yep. I don't care about any of this stuff. And I've said that, like, in that way several times. Like, this entire thing around me could burn and I will be okay. At the same time, that doesn't mean that I necessarily want to, like, you know, have white walls and throw out all the stuff. Because, you know, like Jimmy said before, surrounding yourself by things that inspire you visually um, can be a really cool kick in the pants when you're, like, stuck, you know, and you look around. Like, I can look around this office and be like, oh, wow, there's robots everywhere, and there's, you know, cool colors, and there's these awesome shapes that I can't create, and, you know, all this stuff. And that inspires me to to get started on something new that I wouldn't have done otherwise. At the same time... I have tons of toys around me. I have tons of like these things that I certainly don't need, you know, that um, would probably look like I look like a collector and like somebody who really cherishes these things. But I don't know. That's not that's not why I have them, you know. (laughs) So I guess there's a there's a pretty big difference between having things and enjoying things and feeling like you actually need those things. Well, one of the problems that we are all facing is advertising and marketing now i come from an advertising and marketing background and so i i i I understand this and uh, i understand both sides but advertising and marketing their ultimate goal is to try to tell you that you need this new thing yeah even when you don't i mean i've I've replaced my stupid phone every year the the last year's (laughs) model was just fine i have i have this thing it's not a problem but yet it's a problem where I need to buy the 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 new tech thing, and I don't even think about it. I'm like, oh, this thing just came out. Purchase, you know that. Yeah. Uh, my ultimate goal of creating the most efficient camera setup it, it, it overwhelms me. I'm like, new camera, gotta get it, gotta get this accessory for the camera. This is going to make. I keep, I tell myself this is going to make my job easier, better, and faster. We're we're heading in a direction where it's just like buy now throw away don't throw away or throw away the old things because you think you need new stuff yeah that's that's definitely a a problem for all of us whether we realize it or not you know for real it absolutely is it's uh the struggle every time you said new camera equipment comes out you know the new gopro comes out immediately run and have to get them i can't believe i haven't bought a new drone yet i still have the one drone that my friend has lent me but uh yeah i just it's really i i have to like I'll, I'll go shopping for an emotional need, but I won't buy anything. So I spend time on Amazon and on certain websites for, you know, camera equipment and audio gear and all this stuff. And I'm like, when I look back at my body of films, I'm like, you know what? I made all those and I didn't have any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I have to remind myself of that. You know, when I look at these old videos, I'm like, oh man, this video is awesome. Oh, I just used the $50 flip camera when I made that. You know, the quality isn't the best, but it's still intriguing and and, uh, you know, so I have to remind myself that, like, what I've accomplished with, you know, leaner times, still just as good as what I'm doing now. So I don't yeah. need to 
to keep buying equipment that is going to be just as good as the old stuff I already have. Yeah. The it's camera funny, doesn't we, take a good photo. You take a good photo. The table saw doesn't make a good chair or table. You make a good chair or table, you know? Yeah. I wish this was Westworld. You can make another one of me. <laughs> we have this like weird thing where we, we always think that, you know, an object or a, uh, a future of some sort will improve something that we expect. So like whether it's a new skill we learn, that's going to make us a, a perfect woodworker or a perfect whatever, or this camera is going to make the better video, whatever. Uh, my wife and I realized when we were, I think maybe one or two years into marriage, um, that we were, you know, we were looking at buying our first house and we were like, how much money can we possibly put into this house? And like, what's the biggest thing we can get for this? And, you know, we were trying to buy like a new car instead of having these used cars. And we realized that we were looking at our parents. This is kind of related, maybe not. We were looking at our parents and where they were at that time period, right? These, these parents that all of their kids were grown and out of the house. These parents who had been working their entire lives and had dumped tons of money into their home over years and years and years to be able to pay it off. And we were looking at them where they were at that point saying, that's our goal. That's where we want to be right now. That's so right. messed up and so mm-hmm. stupid. But that's, you know, being naive and young, thinking like, oh, yeah, I'm an adult now. I should have what they have, even though they're 20, 30, 40 years ahead of me in life. And I think, yeah. you know, we kind of do the same thing where, uh, you know, in, in different parts of our lives where we look at like, I can look at Jimmy and say like, well, he has 25 table saws. Uh, if I want to be like <laughs> Jimmy and be that good, I need to have 25 table saws too, you know, or, or like I have to have, <laughs> thanks, or 10, you know, or even, even maybe not that extreme, but saying like, you know, I have to have a new table saw where I have to have a brand X table saw that's going to make it better, you know, for me to be like, like it's some sort of immediate jump to make me what I want to be. And that's just not the case. And so, I mean, it's one of the things we have to remind ourselves all the time that when it comes to uh, the lifestyle that we have and the things that we have in our house, you know, the, the stuff that we set up for our kids and like the, the life that we have around them and what they have access to, we have to be really mindful of, of not like stepping past where we actually are and what we can actually afford and what we actually should have at this stage yeah. in our life, you know? Um, cause it's so easy to like, just want to be ahead of where you actually are. And for me to want my kids to be ahead of where they actually are. And that's totally not fair to them, you know, to say like, I'm going to give you way more than you should have at this point in your life so that you're good. You know, you're good when you're an adult so that you, uh, you have the skills and the stuff you need as an adult. It's a hard thing to remember not to do that, but anyway, that's <laughs> maybe mildly related. No, it's uh, funny. Uh, ahead, oh, in my in my in my basement in my mom's house, there is a a nine inch radial arm saw by Rockwell from probably 1970, 1969, 70. And my dad was recently. My dad and my mom split up in the 1980. It's been that, but the. My dad, when he bought that house, set the workshop up and left it when my parents split up. He left it the, that way so that I could use it. And he comes downstairs about three months ago. We were in the basement at my mom's house. And in this basement is still partially set up. When I moved out, I just left that little radial arm. So it's sitting there. My dad goes, wow, I remember taking a loan out for $100 to buy that saw used at a tool shop in Queens. He goes, "It was it, it, me and your mother argued over whether I should take the loan out or not. It was a hundred, he took a hundred dollar credit, line of credit to buy that saw. He said the payments were like six dollars a month. 
This is in like wow. 1970 wow. or something. And he said, he goes, and there it is. He goes, that was the biggest thing in my life when, when, you know, when you were just a baby. He goes, and now, he goes, now look at all the tools we both have. He goes, it's incredible. He goes, now, mm. he goes, we, you know, we, we wouldn't even pick it up off the sidewalk now because we have so much stuff. You know, I, re- I remember like the first major pieces of music equipment that I have, a guitar and a drum machine, I had to put them on layaway and I had to make payments every week. I didn't have a line of credit. And so I had to work and I had to wait for that thing. And I really, when I got that guitar or, or that, that drum machine, I used the crap out of it because I'm like, I work for this. And now yeah. it's a little bit easier. I, I, I have um, a little bit more... Uh, a lot more disposable in, uh, cash than I did when I was in my 20s because I had none. Um, uh, but <laughs> more we than have, zero. Yeah, more, more than zero. Uh, credit cards now, it's just really super easy to just like impulse buy. Mm. And and then forget about it two weeks later because you didn't work for it, you know? Yeah. That's funny that you bring up the music equipment because I had kind of a weird, kind of opposite of what I'm saying about tools and stuff. I had this thing throughout college where I obviously didn't have any money either, and so I would buy a guitar. But I had really good luck about this, and it happened multiple times. I would buy a guitar, play it for a while, and then find something else that I liked. And I would somehow be able to take this used piece of equipment, amps, guitars, pedals, anything, and turn a profit on it, like sell it to somebody, (laughs) make a little bit more, enough to go get this new thing that I wanted, which was super cool because I got to change equipment all the time. The bad thing about that was at the end of college or at the end of this period of my life, whatever that was, I had one guitar, one amp, some pedals, right? I didn't have all those things that I had played and enjoyed throughout college because I flipped them. And that's not a bad thing. But at the time, I'm looking at it going, oh, man, I wish I had that old jazz master I used to have or that old (laughs) this and that. You know, like, oh, I wish I hadn't gotten rid of that. That was really cool. And so once we started making money and I could afford to keep things and buy other things. And my wife kind of my yeah, my wife was like, "Don't get rid of your music stuff. That's one thing that like you could, you're going to play it all. Just, you know, keep the guitar, buy another guitar." And it was cool for a while for me to be able to do that, but I haven't played music in forever. And like back here on this wall behind me, I have <laughs> five guitars hanging on the wall. I have one in a case cuz I don't have room on the wall. I have a stack of three amps over there. I have two pianos and a bunch of other keyboards on top of it. Stuff that I don't use. But it's like I got in that one particular part of my life, I got in this weird cycle of I don't have to flip these anymore. I can accumulate. And I still love those instruments, and they all have a unique thing to them that I enjoy playing, but I don't play them. You know, so it's like, it's funny that I can feel this total unattachment to tools, stuff I use every single day, but this music stuff that I actually don't use, I still have this weird kind of, that's a 72 Rhodes, man. I don't <laughs> want to get rid of that thing, you know, but I don't play it. It's, it's, I don't know. It's weird. I guess I just need to get on myself about that and either clear out, because if I cleared some of it out, I would have more space in here. <laughs> I'm looking behind you and it's taking up a lot of space. It is. It's all, It's an entire corner of our, I mean, there's a drum set sitting here that I haven't played in I don't know, forever, but it's like if I wanted to make music, I have everything I need to do it right here, you know, and so if I get rid of that, then if someday I decide I want to play drums, <laughs> I don't have drums, you know, so anyway. She should make a robot that plays drums, so you don't have to do it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Or you could just use a computer and then not have a robot and not have <laughs> drums, but yeah. 
anyway, got any other thoughts on this? One, I have one more thought. What's that? And um, I, I, re- I remember when I first got into woodworking, and I would see so and so use this particular tool, and that made me instantly think, I need that tool because I see so and so using it, which was that so and so is probably Steve Ramsey and Mark Spagnuolo because they were big influence on me. <laughs> so and so's, yeah, so and so's. Uh, hey guys, and um, so I think the one thing we have to think of now is we are influencing other people, and maybe we should keep in mind. Or at least for me, I, I, I for me, I should keep in mind what I'm using that it's influencing other people, and maybe they need this tool to do what I'm doing, or maybe not. And so I, I just just something I want to be a little bit more conscious of. Mm. That's kind of a weird line, you know, to to be on because it's like you want to you want to do the things that are most efficient and best quality and stuff. But then, yeah, there is that weird separation of I have this machine that's several thousand dollars and other people are looking around for the best one they can get for 200. You know, it's, yeah, it's tough. I think no matter what, we're still going to get the comments of, well, if I had a shop like that, yeah, I could do what you do. And I'm like, well, it, you know, I work for it. I, I, it's, I took, it took my, it took me time. Jimmy, yeah. it took him a, a lifetime to get where he's at. In 10 days. <laughs> Somebody said, right. Someone goes, uh, I, we talked about this comment, but in context, it's, worth repeating someone said to me oh it seems like the people that need things given to them the least get them the most often like mm. i can afford my own saw stop but i'm given one i was like you can get one too just put up 400 videos work <laughs> since you're eight years old building mm. developing products and i said yeah just and then you get one too for free <laughs> it's so easy yeah yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, that is one thing I'm kind of, um, I don't know, I go back and forth on that that line of having th- having tools that are accessible to multiple people, uh, or to, you know, the general public, versus having things that I think are just super cool and that I can use in cool, cool ways. One thing that I think is kind of interesting that was not in place a generation ago is that um, a lot of the tools that are, well, take the Glowforge, for instance. That's a tool that a lot of people will not, even if they could, they will not spend that kind of money on because they don't have a reason to spend that much money on that particular thing, you know. Um, But a generation ago, if that was the case, then they just wouldn't have access to that tool. Now we have makerspaces, we have, you know, libraries, we have these like co-op, tool co-op things, all of which are in place to give somebody a, um, a cheaper way to access use of the tool, not ownership of the tool, but use of the tool. And so I think that kind of works in, in our favor, I guess, or, mm-hmm. or it, it breaks down that barrier a little bit of like the separation of the ability to even use a tool. 3D printers are another good example of that. Even a few years ago, 3D printing technology was something that nobody thought you know, the general public, nobody thought, like, why, how would I ever have access to that? Why would I have access to that? What would I do with it? And now it's pervasive enough that a lot of people own them, but it's not at all in question whether you could go to an elementary school in this area and find a 3D printer that's there for the kids to use, or libraries, or makerspaces, or yeah. some Barnes & Nobles have had them before, just, like, sitting in the Barnes & Noble. You know, so, I mean... It's pretty cool that, you know, not every tool is going to be that. Barnes & Noble is not going to have a table saw sitting in the middle of it that somebody can go use. But there are certain things that, you know, I think will 
hopefully in those public spaces will help bridge the gap between the high-end tools that only certain people can have and what the general public can use. Well, you know, I just recently got that Tormach for free, you know, several thousand dollar machine. And I just put up the Witchblade 3 video where I made a, an aluminum pocket in the handle and I put my, it's a handle to a knife and the Leatherman pops into that. And right away, I got a couple of negative comments like, oh, wow, of course you whip out this thing. Like not everybody could use one of those. But I, I, I think about it and I know we've talked about this on and off camera. It's I feel like I need to grow and, and expand. I mean, I, I jumped into this YouTube thing with like, all right, if the, you know, I'm just going to do this and still do my other job. This is just for fun. But now it's flip-flopped and it's this is my job. And so to keep it fresh and to keep moving along, if someone's going to offer me a fancy machine that I've always wanted to learn how to use, but I never had access to because I never could afford it, I'm jumping on it. I mean, I'm diving on it because I want to learn how to do this technology. I mean, I'm here taking this class. This class is a couple thousand dollars, I think. I mean, I, I forget exactly what I paid, but all in, you know, the fee is $1,700 and driving here and spending three days away from my workshop. So that's why I said, I think I haven't even added up like, you know, the time spent driving here and gas and hotels, $100 a night. So it's not like everything's for free. I am investing some money of my own into this learning curve. But when someone presents you the opportunity to like, Hey, look at this beautiful tool you could drive. I'm like, well, I have no idea how to drive it, but you know what? I'm going to make sure I learn how to use it because I want, I want to advance my own personal goals and my own personal technology and my own personal learning experience. And sitting in class today, I'm like sitting, like staring at the, the, the teacher, like, I haven't done this in a long time, but it's, it's so, it's so exciting to learn something new and to like build the part and then go to the machine and actually have it made. It's like, we, this is why we all do this YouTube thing, but it's amazing that you could think of something and then have it emerge from a chunk of aluminum. <laughs> now, because three commenters on YouTube say, oh, I can't afford one of those. I'm going to deprive myself of all that because someone's jealous, doesn't understand what I'm trying to do. Obviously, I'm influencing people that might want to go out and spend the money to buy it, you know, because this whole world is an advertising game. But I'm being selfish. I'm like, you want to give me that thing? I'll use that thing because I want to learn how to use that thing and I want to exploit it for myself. Yeah, I want to invent parts and make things for myself and make my world better and maybe come up with a product or two that I could make in my own garage and sell to my friends and family. So, I mean, when people say to me, oh, you're just going to whip out your $10,000 tour Mac and do that part. I'm like, you know what? I, I think you need to grow up. <laughs> well, you, I think you guys... Good. I was going to say, you guys both make really, really good points. It's moving moving forward. That, that's a big thing. It's trying new things. It's um, some people I know watch these types of videos because they can't afford the tools, but they like to see other people use them. It's 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 their form of, of entertainment. So, I don't know. Yeah. Good points. Yeah, I was going to say something similar to that is a lot of people watch our videos and other videos on YouTube for different reasons. And... Uh, we all as creators create for different reasons. We have a different goal and like what the output of that and that the outcome of someone watching one of our videos is, you know, David, you've said recently that you were going to do less tutorial style things and more art and more entertainment and more, you know, that stuff, which I think actually gives you some freedom there when it, relative to tools, right? Like if, if the goal is not, Hey, I want to show you how to make this thing. Therefore you have to have this enough tools to make the thing. If right. that's not the goal, then, you know, maybe that gives you some more freedom there to not worry so much about 
accessibility. Obviously, you still want to find a middle ground and stuff. I'm not right. you know, saying go crazy, but you know, you know, maybe that gives you some freedom there not to worry about that so much. I don't know. Like I've gone back and forth about that. And Jimmy and I actually had a conversation, a private conversation about this particular topic a couple days ago over text. And like, I just, I go back and forth between wanting to be, I definitely want to inspire people to make something that they want to have. Not necessarily what I'm making in the videos. That's not the goal. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, does me having uh, some fancy laser or some fancy 3D printer that's really expensive, does that help that goal? Does that hurt that goal? Does that stop someone from being able to do what they want to do? Or does that inspire them to find a way to do it? You know, is it about how I frame that use of that tool and how it, you know, comes off to them? Or there, There's a bunch of stuff there, and maybe that's an entire topic in and of itself, but there's a bunch of stu- uh, stuff there that I'm thinking about how the contents of my shop and the tools that I use and the projects that I create how that affects the people watching and like, does it get them closer to what I want or further from what I want? Um, tools play a big part in that, but yeah, I don't have an answer. <laughs> what was interesting today in class is, uh, I don't know exactly. There's one, two, three, four, five. There's about 10 of us and there's only probably one young person in the class and he's there with his dad. His dad's learning. So everybody is definitely plus 40 plus. And maybe there's a few of us that are 50 plus. And it's amazing to see these guys that have probably jobs in a, in a company where they've been doing the same thing manually. But now they're learning how to use Fusion. And they want to advance their personal technology, their personal skill set. And I was just impressed to see that these older guys are there learning how to do this. And it's funny, the youngest kid in the class, the teacher's going through the, the tutorial and he's already done. He's <laughs> His like screen looks like, he's like, he looks like a gamer or something. He's obviously very adept at fusion, but he's there with his dad. So it's a father and son mm. thing. And I think he's also there for the advanced class, which is going to be after this one. So uh, I was just impressed to see that there's older people embracing this technology and not scared of it. Yeah, Never cool. stop learning. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. You guys got anything else on this? We were kind of running long. Maybe we should. No, that's it. I mean, I, I seem like I have a problem and uh, I'm going to be giving a lot of stuff away. <laughs> once I once I eventually do get this space, I'm going to clear out all my nooks and crannies, set it up and get rid of stuff. Hmm. So I'm not hoarding for the sake of it's not like my these aren't like my little, you know, I don't even know what the right word is. I'm saying. All this stuff is disposable to me emotionally. It's just yeah. a matter of me getting the time to suss it out and find someone to take it from me. So I'm not hoarding these things. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Sure. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, cool. What are, we, uh, what are we watching? Tell us about the documentary and stuff, David. All right. So uh, two things. I got two recommendations. One is minimal, minimalism. That's a hard word for me to say, and I'm married to a speech therapist. A documentary <laughs> about the important things. So it's... Everything that we just talked about is not impulse buying and just owning too much, and uh, it's time to simplify. And then the other recommendation, it's a book. I've talked about it before, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. It's all about getting rid of stuff. It's about this thing that you have, you, you pick it up, and do you feel attached to it? If you don't, get rid of it. You know, um, the, That book really changed my mindset on a lot of things, and 
the the documentary that I watched kind of reinforced a lot of those things. I just want to talk about a video called Following Your Passion. What what exactly is the name of that? Hold on, let me just go back to my thing. Following Your Passion is a Myth by Mike Rowe. It's old at this point. It came out in the fall, and, and uh, Dave, you talked about it somewhere, somewhere along the way. And I just finally watched it, and I thought it was pretty interesting. It's uh, something that all young people should probably at least look at or read if it's written in somewhere. And uh, Mike Rowe talks about how people have these unrealistic dreams. And he says every time a Hollywood star gets to the podium after they want a thing, they're like, just follow your dreams. But for every one successful Oscar-winning actress, there's millions of people that are left untrained with their dreams torn and tattered because they didn't make a backup plan. So he said one interesting thing, which is look for a job and bring your passion with you. Mm. Always have it with you. And if things flip-flop the other way around, then you're fortunate for having made a backup plan. But don't just go out to become a professional football player with no backup plan. It's funny. It reminds me of somebody. I knew somebody in my life who actually almost got on the Jets, didn't make it, almost got on again, didn't make it, almost got on another team but didn't make it, and spent 10 years talking about how he almost was on the Jets but didn't do anything else. And you know, he, he, he pursued that dream to the point where it was just like – it. it, it became his identity. Oh, that's the guy that would never made it to the professional football team. Mm. And he never graduated to something else. And that's kind of what Mike Rowe talks about. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that I like the spirit of what he said. <laughs> I think it, it gets uh, maybe twisted sometimes. Yeah, in, I agree. It's, it's, a, it's a complicated message to say. Yeah, it tactfully. is. I, yeah, I think he did a good job saying, and I think his point comes across, but I think people that watch it and listen to it maybe miss you know, part of it. But uh, anyway, um, well, I have things that are entirely different to recommend. One, a game called Exploding Kittens. I don't know if you guys, mm. I don't know if you guys play board games at all, but uh, someone gave us this game and it's a really simple card game. Uh, and we played it for the first time the other night and it was a lot of fun. It's just, it's kind of silly and kind of fast and, but we had some friends over and just played this game called Exploding Kittens. It was just, not fun. <laughs> um, and let's see. The other thing is a really goofy video. Did you guys ever see... You ever heard of The Lonely Island? Mm-hmm. Okay, Lonely Island is Andy Samberg and his two buddies, and they do. They used to do all these skits on SNL. The yep. other night at this same get-together with these people, I was reminded of one of theirs, their videos that was super funny called Threw It on the Ground. You ever remember this one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I didn't. I missed that one. Okay, I'm going to link it in the description. Just go watch it. It's funny. It's stupid, but it's hilarious. Their videos were so funny, and uh, I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. It made me laugh, and so we had a good laugh watching it. So there's a couple of fun things for you. Very cool. Uh, I think that's it. I just got to su- uh, th- say thank you to our Patreon supporters, especially Make, Build, Modify, and Luis Gonzalez. But we have a lot of patrons that support the show, and they're all awesome. We're really grateful. Thank you, guys. For that. Thank, thank you all very you, much. Thank you. It's very cool. And we, uh, will, the three of us, will be traveling some this year, different maker fairs and all that stuff. And I hope some of our Patreon supporters and other people will get to come out so we can actually say thank you in person. Um, you guys got anything else for this week? I think that's it. That's it. Cool. Good to see you guys. We'll see you next week. Later. I love Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
see you there.